Garden Success is brought to you in part by the Arbor Gate, featuring unusual plants, artisan-created decorative pieces, and a constantly changing array of items that bring beauty, comfort, and even flavor to the home and garden. Arbor Gate, 15635 FM 2920, Tomball, Texas, 281-351-8851 or arborgate.com. Garden Success is also brought to you by The Farm Patch, 3519 South College Avenue in Bryan, 979-822-7209. Welcome to Garden Success with Skip Richter the show designed to help you have a bountiful garden and a beautiful landscape. Call in now with your lawn and garden questions at 979-845-5689 or email your questions to gardensuccess at tamu.edu. And now, Texas A&M AgriLife Extension horticulturist, Skip Richter. Hello and welcome to Garden Success. We are looking forward to talking gardening today as we always do on Thursdays at noon. Our phone number, if you'll write it down and give us a call, you'll make the show better. Our phone number is 979-845-5689, 845-5689. Or if you'd like to reach me by email during the show, it's gardensuccess at tamu.edu, gardensuccess at tamu.edu. That way, if you have a photo you want to attach, uh, that works well. Please do attach them to your email rather than embed them into the text. That makes it possible for me to be talking on the radio and reading or checking an email at the same time. Uh, I'll try not to walk and chew gum while I'm doing those others too, but if you can attach them, it sure makes it easier and faster for me to get a good look. Uh, let's see. We are going to talk about a number of things today, but we're smack dab uh, in uh, gardening season. That You know, if you're not a gardener in the spring, I, I guess you're not a gardener. Uh, this is just the time of year when people get the bug. Uh, we have kind of come to the end of much of our early planting for the warm season. Uh, green beans, pole beans, for example, and bush beans, lima beans. Those have all been planted, hopefully, by now. I guess if you wanted to give one a shot, you could. But here's the problem. Uh, when we plant these too late, by the time they start to set uh, pot or try to set their little bean pods, uh, it's, they start aborting them, and they, we don't have a good, um, good harvest. And even the harvest we get in the heat, the quality and taste of the beans is not quite like it is when it's a little bit cooler. So uh, if you have to plant some and, and you're going to get it done, uh, do it at 1.01 p.m. at the end of this show <laughs> uh, because I wouldn't wait much longer. Uh, that's also true, you know, with uh, tomatoes, for example. We, we do plant our tomatoes all the way up to about the beginning of May. It's best to get them in much earlier, but we, we can do that. Uh, pepper transplants, really peppers can kind of go in. Uh, any time now because our biggest pepper season is going to be in the fall. So even if you don't get great yields early on, you've got some plants that are getting bigger and you think, well, why wouldn't I just wait till, you know, the normal fall season planting time, which would be in mid-July, mid to late July, ideally. Uh, and the reason is because if you plant, even if it's a little late for a great spring harvest, you're growing a pepper plant all summer. 
And so when fall comes, you have more, think of it as a Christmas tree. You got more places to hang ornaments, those ornaments of the peppers. So the bigger the plant, the better off you are when it cools off a bit and the production really kicks in. Uh, that's the best pepper production uh, in terms of quantity for us uh, for the year. Uh, let's see, we uh, also could be planting some cucumbers still. Uh, it, it's getting it's getting a little late. Uh, corn uh, also can be going in now. I like to try to get cucumbers and corn in by, oh, I don't know, second week of May, uh, if, if uh, not sooner. Uh, and squashes, you know, we have a lot of different kinds of squash we grow here. Uh, summer squash can still be planted. And that would be the squash that we eat immature. So a zucchini and a yellow crookneck or straight neck would be examples of summer squash. We eat them when the skin is still very tender. Their seeds are not very big inside. Uh, in fact, they've hardly begun to develop at all to speak of. Uh, that's summer squash. Winter squash is still grown at the same time of the year. It takes a lot longer to harvest because we let those go all the way until they are mature. And the, the I guess, poster plant of a winter type squash would be a pumpkin. Um, the skin is tough and leathery. There's big old seeds inside, uh, but we're eating the dense, uh, we refer to it as meat of the pumpkin uh, around the, the seed cavity. Uh, and that would be true of an acorn squash or a butternut squash, a kabocha, uh, type squash. These are all winter squashes. A spaghetti squash is another uh, winter type squash. And I, you know, sometimes I wish I could go back in time and change the way things are named because um, the reason it's called winter squash is because you could store it. You grow it and maybe, you know how you typically think of pumpkin harvest as being a fall and October thing. Uh, and then you can store those things for several months uh, into the winter to consume them. Uh, but People get confused when you misname something, and I've, I've one time heard on the radio, won't say where, uh, but I heard on the radio uh, a, a garden a garden show, and the guy was saying, "Yeah, d winter squash, you plant that in the winter." Uh, and say, "Yeah, not not really." Well, I mean, you could, you wouldn't get anything, but at least you'd have the exercise of having planted it. Uh, but that's about all you would get out of the deal. Uh, other things to plant now still are chard. Um, Swiss chard, it does really, really well uh, throughout uh, the season. It even can take the heat. It would prefer to be in spring or in fall, but it can even take the heat and still do pretty well. So I would, I would consider Swiss chard, uh, you know, worth a go. Uh, let's see. Those are the primary things. Now, a lot of our cool season vegetables, we're, we're harvesting them. I planted broccoli really late, and I still haven't harvested or seen the heads on that. It's, it's just uh, about to start forming the heads. But those cool season vegetables, they're going to be going out pretty soon with warm weather. And that would be broccoli and cabbage and cauliflower and kale and kohlrabi and Brussels sprouts and collards and what else am I leaving out? All those blue leaf vegetables. Uh, those are all going to be going out. Uh, lettuce is already bolting. My lettuce uh, that I haven't harvested is, is suddenly elongating upward. And so if you have little lettuce plants or spinach plants and you see something coming up instead of going out, uh, that probably means it's already started bolting. And the day length is a signal for that. Speaking of day length, our onions are bulbing too because of the change in day length. 
Uh, plants have an, an an amazing interior clock, and they are able to know when the days are getting longer or shorter. Uh, and I've said this before on the air, but we keep talking about it in terms. Here, here's uh, misnaming things again. We we talk about it in terms of long day and short day because that's I guess something people relate to. But for the plants, it's really long night and short night. And you think, well, what is the difference between a short night and a long day? That's the same thing. And it is. But to the plant, they don't care how long it's bright. They care how long it's dark. And so uh, that misnomer kind of works because it amounts to the same thing. But it can lead to some confusion. For example, things that bloom in the fall, like um, the um, Copper Canyon Daisy, uh, or let's see, what's another one? Uh, fall aster would be another good example, or the Mexican bush sage. Uh, those all bloom their best in the fall, and they bloom because the nights are starting to get longer. Our long days and short nights, the nights are starting to get longer, and as that happens, it kicks them into bloom. And now, if you were to go in the middle of the night and turn a, a good bright light on those plants, uh, such as maybe it was growing next to the the door of your home and you've got a little porch light there, for example, uh, that that would tell that plant you didn't have a long night. And even though the day length is changing, because you interrupt their night, they don't bloom. And so I, that's that's probably academic, but hey, we're in an academic town, so there's an academic horticulture fact for you. Uh, so anyway, that's a, that is a, a significant thing, and a lot of other plants are affected by day length. Uh, a lot of our cool season things that are bolting uh, are, are affected by that. There's other factors in, in some plants and why they bolt, but day length is a big one. Let's see, we were talking vegetables, so let's talk a little bit about flowers. Uh, it's time to plant all the warm season flowers. Uh, if you haven't already planted uh, petunias, my goodness, get them in, because when it really gets hot, they're not going to be happy. Uh, but if you get them in now, water them, fertilize them, take good care of them, uh, they'll they'll give you some beautiful blooms up until the the real blazing brutal heat of summer arrives, uh, and some people can even coax them pretty well into that with some water and occasionally shearing them back a little bit, fertilizing them to get a little extra growth. Zinnias, I've got some zinnias that are just now coming up. I planted them later than I normally would, but uh, I'm kind of in the middle of a renovated garden project, uh, and I've put in a bunch of new beds and renovated some old ones and. So uh, soil has taken uh, primacy over planting, which I hope it does for everybody, because nothing you do in the garden is as important as picking the site and preparing the soil. Uh, I don't care what kind of plant you're growing, it's going to have an opinion about whether the drainage is good or not. And almost all the plants that you would want to grow are going to really want good drainage. And so if it's a clay soil, which is what I got in my yard, and it's a somewhat flat or lower area, which is what I've got in parts of my yard, it just stays soggy wet. And oxygen doesn't make it down into the soil, which is what roots need. Believe it or not, even being underground, they need some oxygen. And so plants don't do well. So a raised bed's important there, or another location uh, rather than that low location. Uh, the uh, sunlight is part of the site that you choose. And so if it, if you're going to grow something, then you want to get flowers or you want to get roots 
or you want to get fruit, roots meaning carrots and, and things like that, um, then you've got to give it good sunlight because it takes a lot of carbohydrates. And if you don't give it good sunlight, you grow the plant, but you don't get the harvest, or at least not the quality and quantity of harvest that you want to get. I was talking to a group, uh, I don't know, it was just a few days ago, and uh, we were talking about tomatoes, and can you grow a tomato in the shade? And the answer is yes, but you can't get tomatoes in the shade. A tomato plant will grow without a whole lot of light, but it won't produce well, and the little bit of production you get won't be that quality, just because leaves are solar panels. Solar panels on a plant make carbohydrates, and carbohydrates are what make carrots sweet and tomatoes good and potatoes nice and all the things that we need. Uh, we've got to have that sunlight on the leaves to do it. So if you're picking a spot in your yard, I would recommend the sunniest spot you can for your garden. If you're having to choose, let's say you've got a spot and half of the spot is sunny six hours of the day. The other half is sunny about four, three, maybe hours of the day, say three hours of the day. Put your leafy stuff in the th less sunny spot, not because they don't want sun, they do, but because they can still grow and give you something to eat on less because they're not trying to put a whole lot of carbohydrates into a root or a fruit for you to harvest. Uh, so leafy stuff, if you've got to go into a less, little less sun, then do it with your leafy stuff and make sure the root and fruit get nice sunny spots. That's another reason why I often grow on containers on the patio because in a container I can put it where a good sunny spot is. You can set a container in your yard if you want uh, and it, it can have really nice sun. That's one of the advantages of growing in containers. Well, let's see. Let me give you our number. If you'll give us a call, it's 979-845-5689. 845-5689 or by email at gardensuccess at tamu.edu. And I guess if we were to have a, a, a show category called... Uh, Peculiar news of the week regarding plants. Uh, it would probably for this this week. Actually, this came out a, a couple of weeks ago. But uh, there is a hotel in Kentucky that is inviting guests to bring their house plants for the stay. So they they're actually they they call themselves the worst the world's the worst the world's first. That's where worst came from. World's first plant friendly hotel experience. Uh, it's a, one of the Elwood. Suites, uh, and it's in Lexington, Kentucky, by the way. If you're planning a vacation, you don't know where, but you can't leave your plants. Well, here you go. You can thank me later. It says, thanks to a years-long pandemic and the rising costs of parenthood, pets are the new babies, and plants have been promoted as the new pets, they say in their hotel press release. And so you can uh, you can get a gardener's premier corner room package. I don't know what the price is on this thing, but I bet it's I bet it's interesting. You might need to take two checkbooks. Anyway, the gardener's premier corner room package for six king suites, specifically chosen for their abundance of plant-friendly natural light. There you go. Plant-friendly natural light. Uh, you get all kinds of other nice things. I don't know. I'm not going to do a commercial for the thing here uh, by reading the whole thing. Uh, but they also do give you uh, the option of partaking in some what they call plant-centric perks, including a garden mojito cocktail made with blackberry syrup, fresh herbs, and edible flowers at the downstairs kitchen and bar. <laughs> okay. 
nothing should surprise us anymore, right? But if you're going on vacation, you cannot leave your house plants. You don't trust those people that didn't water them last year and almost killed them when you were gone. Well, now you've got a place to go, a plant-friendly hotel. I'm kind of curious how that'll end up working out for them. <laughs> that is a, oh boy. All right, well, let's see. Let's talk a little bit about lawns here. Uh, again, our number, 845-5689. Where is everybody today? I think they must be outside enjoying this good weather, taking care of the plants. Uh, I, our grasses are really starting to grow now, and we fertilize our lawn after we've mowed it twice in the spring, or at least I hope you do. When we fertilize early, when the fertilizer starts to be promoted and put up for sale where you have to crawl over it to get into the establishment uh, at the front door, uh, that is usually too early to fertilize. There will be a little fertilizer that hangs around for when the lawn does wake up, but all the cool season weeds are very awake at that time of the year, and they're growing fast, and they'll thank you kindly for the fertilizer. Then we'll get spring rains that wash some of it away. Some of it will volatize as a gas, and nitrogen, especially uh, some parts of that. And uh, you end up not getting very efficient use of your fertilizer. Uh, maybe even if you really misapply fertilizer, uh, doing some damage to uh, water supplies or creeks and, and other places where it might run off. Uh, but when you've mowed twice, the grass has got some new roots and it's going to town. It's ready to go. So th at that point, which is the point we're at now, uh, and have been for probably a couple of weeks. Uh, at, no, actually, we haven't. It's It's been a slow spring. Uh, normally, by the time we get to about uh, mid-April, anybody know what happens in mid-April? If you pay taxes, I bet you do. That's about the time we normally fertilize our lawns uh, here. But if uh, this year's a little bit slower, but still it's time to get out there and put some fertilizer out. When you put out fertilizer, you don't want to put more than about a pound of nitrogen on a thousand square feet. And you're probably thinking, well, how do I know what a pound of nitrogen is? Well, that's not a pound of fertilizer. It's a pound of the nitrogen in the fertilizer. So just take the first number on the bag and don't worry about decimals or anything. If you get anywhere close, you're doing better than most gardeners do. Uh, take the first number and divide it into 100. So if your fertilizer, and I'll make up a number, let's say it was 21714. Well, 21 goes into 100 about five times, right? So that would be five pounds of that fertilizer. If you had a 15510, here we're throwing numbers around. 15 goes into 100 about seven times. Again, don't worry if it, it doesn't have to be exact. About seven times. So that'd be seven pounds because that fertilizer isn't as concentrated as the 21% nitrogen was. That gives you a guide. And then just step step off your yard, you know, go north, south, east, west, or whatever. Don't worry about a little sidewalk here or there or, a, a, you know, a little... If, if a bed is really large, you know, take a little bit off for that. But in general, just, just come close, and that will give you the rate of fertilizer that will benefit your plants without being excessive and causing a lot of top growth at the expense of root growth, which makes a grass plant more susceptible to summer droughty conditions. Well, let's go back to the, or let's go to the phones now. Again, the number is 845-5689 and talk to Susan. Hello, Susan. Hello, how are you? Good. Thank you for saving the listeners from my monologue. <laughs> well, actually, your monologue is what led me to my question. Uh-oh. 
And it's not exactly a question. It's kind of a, um, I just need, you know, maybe a step-by-step in guidance. I have um, decided that I want a second garden, Mm -hmm. and I want to include some raised beds. So I'm completely rural. We're on 200 acres here. Neighbors a long way away. So um, my first, my original garden is next to cropland, row Mm -hmm. crops. And so I want a place away from that. And so I've decided on the west side of my metal barn okay, to sort of put in a raised bed garden slash in bed garden, Mm kind of maybe a little bit of both, and fence it off so our cows won't be able to get in there. Right now, that's what's stopping me from proceeding. Mm -hmm. However, I was studying the land and um, I do have a little shade there that I'm hoping will help me maybe grow in the winter a little bit because it can get really toasty on that side. Mm-hmm, and so because of that, I'm considering these raised beds that are apparently studied at A&M and they are coated, they're metal and they're coated with something that stops corrosion. And they also have something in them that stops the... Um, heat from getting in them too much and so they're 17 inches raised and i don't know if you've seen them they kind of look corrugated okay um, are they kind of rounded on the corners yes okay yes. yeah and i'm so familiar with a, those. that's that's what i'm considering i from my research i think that would be the best for that area okay well those do um, those so do I was wondering fine about that mm-hmm. they do fine the plants aren't going to care what they're in I mean, you could pile up okay. dirt on the ground, and they would be happy. Uh, so it, it from a success standpoint, uh, just a raised bed in and of itself is good. So think about the gardener and what the gardener wants. That would be you. Do you want something you can sit on the side of? Sometimes those have a little bit of a, a strip that is over the edge of the metal, so you wouldn't, like, cut yourself, but it wouldn't right. be something suitable for sitting on. So right. do, do you want that or not? Um, that would be one consideration. Do you want them to be, uh, how high do you want them to be? You know, as far as like when you sit down, you you want them to a, 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 where you can work without having to stoop, you know, even further, right. for example, if you're standing up. that The height for the gardener's purposes would be another thing. If you've got soil underneath them, 16, 17 inches, whatever you said that was, uh, is, is fine. That's more than enough depth uh, for for a raised bed so those are fine they're a little pricey but they they are very um you know quality materials they often are made in in ways where they can be more modular so they don't have to be a big oval they could even you could even make an l out of them or a c-shaped garden if you if you wanted and it's just the way you kind of put them together yes so um i have super thick clay soil. I mean, we're in the black land here. Okay. And I want to be able to grow whatever I want to grow. So I'd like to have different beds, maybe yeah. with different levels of pH yeah. or whatever in it. So that's kind of, you yes. know, I'm trying to explain to my husband, this is a hobby. <laughs> this is not to, to be a cheap thing to get my own food. Right. Because I know those beds are expensive. And yes. if I... um if I calculate this up right, maybe I won't have to replace them when I'm too old to do that. They'll still mm-hmm. be available for me. So that's kind of why I was considering something that should last 
a lot longer. Right. Um, the other question I have is the the ground itself, where I want to put um, an in-ground garden, is sort of sloping. Now, I think that's a good thing. My husband thinks all the topsoil is going to wash away there. Well, uh, however, on the building itself, I do have rain gutters, and I do have a large uh, tank that I collect that rainwater. Okay. So it'll just be straight rain, not rain from the um, barn itself. So it's only the rain that falls on that spot in the garden that will be there. Not Nothing right. is sheeting across right. the top of the soil, you yeah. know, heading so, up. Okay. What I'm thinking is, before we put the fencing up, should I level that out a little bit there where I want to put that, or should I leave that slight slope? Is that because also the we're clay talking soil? about really, yes. Yeah, okay. So, no, I would I would leave it sloped and That's just keep your, keep your beds mulched, and that will catch the raindrops and help them sort of percolate into the soil rather than just erode and crust and... And uh, right. and so on, and then the walkways can be can be uh, organic kinds of materials like leaves, grass clippings, wood chips, whatever you got, uh, and also help avoid that and make it much less muddy. Uh, my clay is horrible. My beds are only twelve inches high, and everything's doing well, but I'm walking on leaves all the time. So when we had that, what do we get? Two inches of rain or something the other day. Mm-hmm. Uh, I walked right out in the garden. And if I had not done what I just did to build beds and put down leaves right. in the walkways, I I would have brought home I brought about a you know two bowling ball sized chunks of clay and with me on my feet. So um, yeah, your your garden will do well. Just mulch the soil and it and it should be fine. Uh, and as far as you know, as far as the in ground, just a lot of compost. I would. There's different ways to do this, but um, one way that I do it is I will mix compost in the entire area where your in-ground garden is going to be. So a rototiller or a spade is only going to mix it so deep. And this is the work part of putting in a garden, um, especially. And then let's say you're able to mix it about four or five, six inches deep by really... I can get a ripper. Oh, I could get a ripper. You're bringing in the, you're bringing in the heavy artillery. Okay, well I don't. <laughs> well, we I wouldn't worry. We are farmers. Right. I wouldn't <laughs> worry about have that. The equipment. Well, it's a good disc plow or something would be fine. Uh, but then okay. you're, you're going to want to so make it work a little. Work it in deep. Yeah, work it in pretty deep, and then okay. uh, six inches is probably enough. Uh, and then I scoop out the walkways and put it on the beds. So now I've got a blended oh, soil of okay. clay and compost that's twice as deep as far as an improved soil as it would have been had I just improved the bed. And and I never thought of that. And then you got to fill those walkways with with leaves, wood chips and things like that because otherwise that really will be it'll be little long ponds of water you can stock them with goldfish. Uh, if you if right. you don't if you don't put some organic matter in there, and that stuff decomposes as you're walking on it through the year. Uh, at the end of the season, you rake away the dry stuff on top of the walkway, and you've got some I'll call it composty type of material that could also be uh, scooped up onto the beds and then mixed in to continue that improvement. Right. I um, have from a leftover project an entire pile full of crushed granite. Okay. So I was thinking about putting that at least around the raised bed area. Do you think that would be 
I mean, I don't think I would have enough for the whole area that I want to do. So mm-hmm. I might have to have a little bit of both. But do you think that would be a problem putting that in my garden area? It, it wouldn't be a problem, but I wouldn't do the excavation I just talked about because then that granite is going to be down in the trench and that's not going to be good at all. Uh, so if okay. you just have a level ground and you want to put the granite on it, that's fine. It packs down really hard and tight, uh, and it also still gets weeds in it. And when you work your gardens, if right. some soil flies over there and lands on it, it's going to eventually not look so great uh, because the garden bed soil is so close by. It just it kind of is what happens. Um, mm. uh, you see people do that, but it, it's one of the things on Pinterest that drives me nuts is, you know, they put in the perfect garden, take a picture of it, and it does look great, but I'm just yeah. thinking, okay, take oh, yeah, me another right. picture eight months from now, and I want to see that, how right. that looks. And I, I, that was a good thought. Yeah. I'll, I'll consider that. But I really like the idea of uh, hollowing out the, getting the good soil and putting it on the bed yeah. area. So, it's, just, yeah. it's just a way to get an improved soil that's much deeper. It's not essential. Most people don't do it, but it, it works well for me. Okay. Now, do you recommend a crew? Is there a crew that you can hire to do all that? This is, a, I guess, a pretty large area. And yeah, it is. There's only so much of me. Uh, <laughs> you're just going to have to find some laborers that are willing to do that, and that that's, that's some work. I did my own, okay. and I'm old enough to not be out there doing that. And it, it you know, it just take it slow. It took time. Uh, okay. When you when you've mixed it in and it's loose, it's easier to do the scooping and and shoveling uh, than it than it would be in that clay without that. Um, I use a broad fork to break up the clay and mix. Start to mix the compost with it. Uh, so again, picturing here's the soil throw compost down and you're going to use a, a, a plow and that would be fine yeah. uh, to mix it uh, and then the, just the scooping. I would I would take it slow though. Uh, d- if you guys have a mold board plow uh, and you can run both ways and, and you know the mold board rolls the soil over. Do you know what I'm talking about? The bottom yeah. breaking plow. Bottom break. Yeah we we have the um, the kind that you know separate it or make trenches. Okay. And, well, well, we have several different ones, but um, yeah. Well, talk to your husband and what kind, whatever kind you can get a hold of. The moldboard is nice because it throws it one way, and then you make a U-turn yeah. and you throw the other half of the trench the other way. And I'm not going to be able to go the other way because uh, of the barn. Oh, okay. Well, <laughs> that's a thought. Uh, you guys will on figure it out. On another note about the soil, so right now we're talking it is pasture. Okay. So I'm turning it into a garden area. I have to get rid of a lot of grass. You sure do. Would it be better? uh, And this whole garden, I'm on a three-year plan of I want it completed in three years. I want to do it right. But anyway, my son will be in college then, so my youngest son will be in college. I've got a senior there now at A&M. Okay. But I um, have thought of two ways getting a ripper in there, just ripping that soil up and then just trying mm-hmm. to pick out the grass or mm-hmm. putting tarps down and trying to just kill all the grass before I even start messing with the it, soil. It sounds like you don't want to spray it. Is that right? Well, I, that's why I've, I've called you many times and I've got all kind. I can't plant in my old garden because I messed it up with cotton burrs and 
Okay. So chemicals have been my enemy. Okay. So I am, I'm not necessarily trying to go 100% organic. I'm mm -hmm. not, but I don't want to mess up my soil. What kind of of pasture is it? What's the grass in the pasture? Is it a Bermuda grass pasture? Is it some other native? I should know that. If if it's Bermuda, I, I would spray it. Um, and I would spray it with a product uh, that contains glyphosate, and I know people have opinions about that. I'm not going to go into okay. all that now, but um, yeah. that stuff does its job. It gets rid of the that problem, and then you're able to go forward. You can kill okay. it by repeatedly summer plowing it. Just you summer plow it. Some of it desiccates and dies and then some of it resprouts and after it resprouts you plow it again and let the baking summer sun kill more of it and then you plow it again and you plow it again now that's hard on soil and soil structure and other things but that's a non-spray way uh, to fight I I didn't think it could happen but I watched a peach orchard get put in and they went through a summer of repeated plowing and they turned a Bermuda pasture into a peach orchard that way and it was pretty amazing that it worked uh, now you don't get it all the glyphosate, a little... if i use that how uh, i mean would i only have to spray it once or do you think that would be several well, times of probably twice probably least? twice because you're not going to get it all uh do you want to wait until the grass is actively growing it, it doesn't work when the grass is semi-dormant uh, but now we've okay. hit a point where it should be actively growing uh, you spray it and then you just wait and if you if you wanted to do some sort like one plowing just to kind of mix some compost in, you're going to see some resprouting, and then you would spray it again, or maybe spot spray if there's not much resprouting. Uh, but every time you plow, there's a lot of weed seeds in your soil. So even if you oh. killed all of the pasture grass, you're going to have it's going to look like a chia pet in a few weeks again when it just comes out with seeds everywhere. Uh, and and so that that's just part of the deal. We, I, don't worry about that. Just continue to prepare your beds, prepare your soil. Just don't let the weeds get big and go to seed again. Uh, but um, then once you get everything right, then you can use mulch on the surface to control the weeds. But you can't have the Bermuda around because it just laughs when you mulch it. It pops right through. Right. Okay. I, I'm pretty sure it is Bermuda. Yeah, so. I bet it is. And we have glyphosate in bulk. <laughs> so we it'll work. Well, uh, I really, really appreciate all your help. Hopefully, we'll get this garden going. All right, <laughs> We'll Susan. talk about plants later. Very Thank good. Thank you. Have a good time. All right, our phone number is 979-845-5689, 845-5689, or by email at gardensuccess, one word, gardensuccess at T-A-M-U dot E-D-U, gardensuccess at T-A-M-U edu. Uh, going to the email, uh, we have a, um, a question that I've had from Tommy, and Tommy and I have actually uh, talked about this a little bit, uh, but Tommy has a fig plant that is severed off right at the ground or just below the ground, and it's the strangest thing. I, I am a little bit at a loss uh, for what would have done it. You know, my mind, this is not just like some little borer cut it off. This is this is like a beaver, a nutria, a, um, 
uh, I don't know what else, uh, with chomp and teeth uh, chewed it off there or broke it off there. Uh, and uh, so I, I know that in general nutria are, are not going to eat fig trees, but it, something with teeth. Anyway, the, I, I don't know what to suggest on it. It's happened before, but uh, Tommy, if you can bring a sample by the office, let me take a look at the cut end surface and see if there's any signs of what might have done that. I know of no fig root pest that would sever a fig at the ground like that. So you kind of got me flummoxed there. Maybe somebody else has a thought. Uh, or an idea about that. It doesn't look like it just rotted off. Uh, it looks more like a cut, but maybe when I take a look at it, we'll see something else. Uh, Ed uh, asked about uh, some pear planting. Ed's planting a couple of different kinds of pears and was asking, you know, what's a, what are some good varieties to plant here? Well, pears are one of the types of fruit that do well with a second variety to pollinate. They, they, they cross-pollinate well, and they do well with that. Uh, in the zone that we're in, if you go on Aggie Horticulture, there is a fruit publication that's free for every fruit. Uh, they're not going to mail it to you, but you can download it and print it yourself or look at it on the screen. And there's the old pears that you see in the pasture, something like a kefir pear. Those are old, tough pears. They outlive the, the family and the house. Uh, driving through the countryside, you see these old pears still going when the house is nothing but the chimney left standing. Uh, kefir's an old, tough pear. It's very grainy, gritty, so it's used for canning. Some people will eat them fresh, but they're hard and they're, they're crunchy. They do soften some, but they do have a lot of what we call grit cells. So when you eat them, it's not the smooth, buttery pear you may have eaten in the, from the grocery store. It's a different kind of pear, but it's a good pear in and of itself. Uh, there's a variety called Orient uh, that uh, is also uh, proven in this area. There's one called Moon Glow uh, and one called Magnus. Those Kiefer, Orient, Moon Glow, and Magnus are all among the recommendations. Now, these have been recommendations for a long time. And AgriLife Extension Horticulture is continuing to look into some of the fruit that we um, haven't taken a look at in a while, uh, not, not a close look. And we're, we're, I was talking with somebody the other day about uh, some plantings of pears and how they're performing and, and looking at them. And uh, so it, that's a multi-year project, uh, to, you know, to plant a tree and get it up and growing and see what kinds of issues may or may not, how often and how well does it pr produce, does it get fire blight or not. Fire blight is a disease that is just a pain for pears. It's one of the big issues that we have to deal with uh, for pears. Uh, but those varieties would be ones that I would consider. Uh, just a tip uh, that goes beyond your question, but when you when you grow pears, uh, like any tree, you want to get them to grow fast, make a nice big tree. But remember that once you have a, a pear tree and it's fruiting, it, things you do to strongly invigorate it make fire blight worse, or they make the fire blight infections uh, seem to be worse. So pears don't, they already want to grow vigorous and straight up. They don't like to spread out. Uh, so you're going to have to do some training and spreading of the branches to make a good shaped tree. Uh, but when you start over pruning, which invigorates new growth, uh, when you over fertilize with nitrogen, uh, even water, a lot of extra watering uh, helps invigorate the plant. And so with pears, we let them stay a little on the lean side. Uh, do a soil test, make sure it's got a decent level of everything. I'm not saying nutrients don't matter, 
But hold off on that nitrogen uh, with the pears, unless you got a young tree that you're trying to get going a little bit faster. So hopefully that'll get you off to a, a good start there on the pears. Uh, around and about town, uh, we uh, our um, Rio Audubon Society is having a Birding 101 uh, uh, class or meeting out at Lick Creek Park on May 7th at 8.30 a.m. And what you're going to get to do is walk the trails with some folks that know a lot about birding. Uh, there'll be some loner-type binoculars where you can take a look at some birds through them if you don't already own a pair. Uh, i got to warn you, birding is addictive, and so you may find yourself an avid bird watcher uh, because these things are a lot of fun. But Birding 101 at Lick Creek Park, May 7th at 8.30 a.m. Just show up out there. If you got binoculars, bring them. Uh, but and maybe some maybe a notepad so you can write notes because you're going to be doing a lot of talking uh, with these folks and learning a lot about the kind of birds that we have and Lick Creek's a great place to get out uh, and see the birds uh, that are out there. Uh, let's see on May 10th the Brazos Valley Rose Society is meeting and the Brazos Valley Rose Society meets at noon that would be a Tuesday May 10th and Mary Wells will be talking about tea roses, and this will be a potluck. So if you'd like to bring bring something, or I'm sure they would, in, as a guest, they would just love to have you come. Uh, but if you want more information, uh, the the number in the 979 area code is 778-4252. I don't have a location in this notice, uh, so you may want to give them a call to find out where to go on Tuesday, May 10th at noon. Then on Wednesday, May 11th, the Rio Brazos Audubon Society uh, is at 6.30 p.m. having a program called Red Trails, Black and Yellow Rail Ecology by Dr. Chris Butler. And that is at the Brazos Valley Museum of Natural History out on Briarcrest Road. Uh, 6.30, Red Trails, Black and Yellow Rail Ecology the meeting of the Brazos Audubon Society. And the public is invited, and that's free of charge. And then Friday, May 13th, the A&M Garden Club is meeting at 1 o'clock. A&M Garden Club meets at Peace Lutheran Fellowship Hall on Rio Grande um, and Rio Grande Boulevard in College Station. Uh, and they're going to have a talk called Texas, Our Texas, a horticulture specialty show with botanical arts and crafts and photography. So it's more of a, of a show, it sounds like, but a um, horticulture specialty show with botanical arts, crafts, and photography. That's a 1 o'clock. it go till about 3 o'clock if you want to stay that long uh, and see everything. But uh, that's Friday, May 13th. So we want to let you know about that one. Let me see here. I want to go back now to the phones. The number is 845-5689 and talk to Will. Hello, Will. Hi, Skip. I've got a question for you about three uh, Nellie Stevens uh, ivy, uh, in a, or excuse me, holly. Okay. Planted uh, about a year ago. Uh, they're all about uh, two and a half feet high, and one of them is really uh, budding out a lot. One is sort of a medium, and the one in the middle is not really doing an awful lot, just barely starting. Should I be putting some fertilizer on them of some sort? Uh -huh. uh, well, tell me again, when did you plant them? Planted them uh, a year ago. It was after the big freeze last year. Okay, so that we can eliminate that. 
Yeah, yeah, it was well after that. Okay. Um, hollies can grow and do well here, but they're not fond of some of the soil conditions that we can often have. Uh, you know, just a, a heavy, poorly drained clay soil. Uh, they don't like that, and the planting hole becomes kind of an underground bathtub that holds water in the clay. They're not fond of that. Uh, they like a soil with a lot of organic matter, which a lot of our landscape beds have been improved, and so they make a good home for hollies as a result. The first year, you got to water them uh, frequently, but not excessively. And so that last summer that we went through, that could have uh, contributed maybe some to the one not doing as well, uh, but it's not necessarily the absolute diagnosis of what's going on and what's going wrong with it. Uh, I suspect that for whatever reason, it's not establishing. Um, when we pull woody plants out of a pot, there are often roots going in a circle around the container. In fact, there's always roots going in a circle around the container. Um, right. And if we don't cut those, uh, sever them, which is hard for people to want to do, uh, the, it it's like the plant just sort of stays in that cylindrical root ball condition. Those roots don't <clears throat> unwind, of course, underground. And and it's it's a very stress-prone plant that it, if you water that spot, it gets water and the roots have something to pump up to the top on hot summer days. Uh, but even with moist soil around them, that root ball gets pumped dry. So if that one that's struggling never really established a good root system over the course of this first year that it's been in, that could also be part of what you're seeing going on with well, it. Well, we we have raised them up just a little bit. Okay. They're on a very slight slope, and the one that's doing the best is the one that's at the bottom of that slope. But, I mean, we're talking about five inches difference between... Yeah, yeah. That, that's probably not... the um, That location is probably not the... That's more coincidental, I would guess, than... Uh, so let me say the uh, the only other thing would be I don't know I hate it I hate at the beginning essentially we're at the beginning of May I hate at the beginning of May to pull a plant out of the ground check the roots and 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 replant it uh, it's not a real good time to do that so let's let's stay with what you got uh, dig down with a little trowel maybe two or three inches deep feel the soil water when it's a little it's no longer good and moist to the touch. Uh, try to keep them adequately moist, especially going into this first summer season. That one that's struggling is either going to make it or it, it's not going to see the end. It's not going to see the fall uh, if 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 it's truly in that kind of condition. Okay, but you don't need, think I need to put any fertilizer on them? I, I you can, and it wouldn't hurt it. But the problem with that plant is not a lack of fertilizer because all of them are growing okay. growing in the same soil. And if you had a lack of fertilizer, you may have a lack of good deep green color, a little bit of a lack of vigor, of course. Uh, and depending on the nutrient, you could have some nutrient deficiencies or excesses. Uh, but I, if you wanted to give them, maybe use one of the soluble plant foods that you mix up in water and yeah. uh, give them a good watering with that. Read the label. There's a, a a rate that you would use on your house plants every time you water, and there's a rate that you would use on a, a vegetable garden or <coughs> shrubs or things. Follow the label, and maybe once uh, or twice, uh, a week or two or three apart, uh, you may give them a good, give it a good drenching with that, and see if <laughs> see if it responds some with a little bit of vigor. Uh, and if okay. if it does, then that's a sign that well, maybe I need to look at 
fertilizing in a in a little better way. Those those soluble plant foods are a good quick fix, but they don't last. You're you're not putting out nearly the amount of nutrient you are with a dry fertilizer. Okay. Well, we did cut the roots on these, uh, and they and we we put uh, some uh, landscapers uh, soil in with it. Uh, okay. We mixed it up, and, and now there had been a tree fairly close to this. They okay. got pulled out totally, but I don't know that that's, you know, it basically we made a long hole, mm-hmm. uh, and that's good. they're only about three feet apart from each other, so well, that's pretty like conditions close. were similar. Yeah, if it's a, if it's a Nellie Stevens, uh, is it the middle one that's not doing good? Yes. Yeah, those two on the sides will fill in pretty uh, it'll take a while but if that middle yeah. one dies those two on the ends are going to come together where the middle one was so uh, it's not the end of the world if you if you lost it yeah. uh, but uh, three foot's pretty close for Nellie Stevens Hollies uh, they didn't really they didn't grow at all last year okay uh, nothing yeah so, okay I, uh, is there is it mulched well and no weeds and grass grown around them Oh, it's uh, yeah. There's a lot of mulch okay. uh, from day one. Uh, well, dig down and feel the soil, so you know what whether you need to water or not. And I'm thinking okay. more so when we get into May, June, July, August, and September, and it's hot. And uh, water accordingly. Uh, consider a little bit of a nitrogen type fertilizer, something with a bigger first number. But that little okay. test that I mentioned with a soluble, that would kind of give right. you a little clue. I mean, it's not going to change it overnight, but that would be a clue. And then I just would use a lawn fertilizer if you do use a granular, uh, like something with lawn fertilizers typically have a lot of nitrogen and not much of the middle number phosphorus. Uh, and that would be great for those hollies. So you could sprinkle some of that around. Okay. Well, I'll try those. Thank you very much. Yep. All right, Will. Well, good luck with that. Thank you. All right. Our phone number is 845-5689, 845-5689, or by email, gardensuccess at tamu.edu, gardensuccess at tamu.edu. Uh, looking back at the out and about for May on Saturday, May 7th, uh, uh, they're again having the DeGallery First Saturday Art Fair. Now that's on North Rosemary in Bryan, which is on the south end of Bryan, uh, 930 North Rosemary Drive. And it's at 10 a.m., goes all the way to 4 p.m. And they have all kinds of things going on. There's young and professional visual artists. There'll be painting, sculpture, photography, jewelry, handcrafted items, live music, art workshops for kids, uh, crafting station, treats for sale, coffee, pastries, and so on. So it's kind of a family-friendly event. If you want more information, you can go to D-E-G-A-L-L-E-R-Y. Dot us de gallery d e g a l l e r y dot us and that's saturday may 7th lots of stuff happening on may 7th uh let's see the gardens at a&m great place to visit if you've never been out there boy is it ever looking good and it's it's just going to continue to get better that garden evolves through the year and so if you go see it in uh, march uh, may is a whole new world and uh, then even June and July will be a different world out there. 
Uh, and so I encourage you to do that. On weekends, you can often find the free parking on campus, uh, and, and especially the lot over kind of between the gardens and let's say the uh, uh, football field or, or, or uh, the um, special events center. Uh, so I just went blank on the name of the special events center on campus. Uh, but anyway, the, the gardens is a great place to go and stroll. Uh, bring the kids, big wide walkways for strollers and all kinds of things. There's a place for the kids to use a pump handle to pump up some water to go water the plants and all kinds of things going on out there at the gardens. recommend you do that. Also, the Demonstration Idea Gardens that the Master Gardeners here in Brazos County have built and now maintain uh, up on the north end of Bryan on Highway 21 where the old extension office used to be. Uh, and you can go by and, and check those out. They're open to the public every day. And there's oftentimes on a Friday or Saturday, there's master gardeners out there uh, maintaining and taking care of those things. Uh, on again, if you don't have enough things to do on Saturday, May 7th, the John Ferry Garden down in Hempstead is having uh, in May the 7th, the open day guided tours. They leave on the hour, 10 a.m., and 11 a.m. So you want to get er there early, a few minutes early, so you can sign in. And the tickets are free for members and 10 bucks for non-members. And it's a very interesting, very interesting uh, artistic uh, 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 site, but also a lot of interesting plant material that through years of collections to Mexico and other places uh, that have brought uh, to our region. Uh, and we can go now and enjoy and see. Uh, of course, I love to promote our farmers markets. The uh, Brazos Valley Farmers Market is the one on Saturdays, 8 a.m. to noon, downtown on Main Street. All kinds of things there, as well as sometimes a food truck and occasionally some live music, too. Uh, I enjoy that. Uh, the South Brazos County Farmers Market is on Fridays from noon to 5. Tomorrow, noon to 5, the corner of University and Glen Haven, next to the, South, the Scott and White Clinic right there. Uh, they have all kinds of good things and uh, the same location is uh, on Tuesdays from noon to 5. So Tuesdays noon to 5 and Fridays noon to 5. Uh, you can go there. On, on Tabor Road, out Tabor Road to the, to the east of town, uh, Ron Bolton's got a, a farm Friday uh, from 10 a.m. to 2 p.m. And the address, you want to jot this down, 2861 FM 974. We call that Tabor Road. 2861 FM 974. The new far It's a new farmer's market. Uh, lots of produce and other kinds of things there. And then um, the local is every Tuesday through May 24th from 4 to 7 p.m. at 4107 Lake Atlas Drive in Bryan. Now that's, that's over in the um, traditions area. It's 4107 Lake Atlas Drive in Bryan, and it's the Lake Walk Pavilion. There's all kinds of vendors there, artisans and others. Uh, there, it's, a, it's very interesting. You can go to uh, thelocalbcs.com. So it's T-H-E, the local BCS, all one word, dot com, and get more information. That's Tuesdays, every Tuesday from 4 p.m. to 7 p.m. through May 24th. So if you can't find a farmer's market, you are not trying around this town. There's something going on almost every day. Uh, pretty, pretty cool, pretty interesting stuff. 
Uh, going to to the emails now. I uh, had a question from Raymond. Do honeysuckles have any redeeming value? I love that. Nostalgic as a fence hedge. Uh, and, and and when do you when do you get those started? We we have different kinds of honeysuckle. Uh, I would not plant the old Japanese honeysuckle. That's the one that's yellow and white. It's got a nice fragrance, but boy, is it ever invasive. Uh, and if you plant, if I told you to plant it, you you would be fussing at me for years to come. So I, I would not plant that one. It I understand horticulturally it has some attributes, uh, but uh, I don't know. I'm not a fan of that one. Uh, the one I do like is the coral honeysuckle. It's a much tamer version, a kinder, gentler honeysuckle. Uh, it uh, can it has kind of a bluish cast to the leaf. I don't want to infer that it looks like broccoli, but I'm, I'm, it, it's a kind of a bluish green color uh, to the leaves, uh, and it has coral-colored tubular blossoms that attract hummingbirds. It doesn't sprawl over creation and sucker up out of the ground all over creation. It's very tame, uh, not a super vigorous vine, but it will cover some area. Uh, I've seen it covering chain link fences and so on. Uh, I've seen it, I've used it uh, on little fence posts. You know how we used to have the little, uh, I'm sorry, light post. A little light post out in front in the yard with a little lights, gas lights on them. I don't know why. That was a different day and time, I guess, when I was familiar with those. But I used it on one of those and just sort of tied it. I mean, it doesn't have hold fast, so it grabs the walls. It doesn't have tendrils, so it grabs a hold of fences. It just kind of weaves itself around through them. Uh, but it, uh, I like that one. Not suit, not fragrant. At least I've never noticed a fragrance on it. But tame, beautiful, and a hummingbird magnet. Those are good reasons uh, to grow the coral honeysuckle. Now there are some other varieties out there. If you get if you get to searching online, you're going to see some specific varieties that have very unusual color. Uh, to the blooms, uh, you know, beyond just what we would traditionally think of as honeysuckle. So you might want to check some of those out, but always read about it. Uh, what kind is it and, and how invasive is it going to be? Because that's the number one thing uh, with honeysuckle that, that we uh, concern ourselves with. Well, you've been listening to Garden Success. I'm your host, Skip Richter, and we're here every Thursday. And I invite you to tell your friends or family or others about the show. If people are local, of course, they can listen to us online as well. If they're not local, uh, the past shows are on the website, and we just would invite you to invite others. Uh, let's talk more about gardening next Thursday. You've been listening to Garden Success with Texas A&M AgriLife Extension horticulturist Skip Richter. Join us again next week as Skip discusses your questions about gardening and landscaping in the Brazos Valley. Garden Success is brought to you in part by the Arbor Gate, featuring unusual plants, artisan-created decorative pieces, and a constantly changing array of items that bring beauty, comfort, and even flavor to the home and garden. Arbor Gate, 15635 FM 2920, Tomball, Texas, 281-351-8851 or arborgate.com. Garden Success is also brought to you by the Farm Patch, 3519 South College Avenue in Bryan, 979-822-7209.